Welcome to the Women in Industry podcast. My name is Kirsty Davis-Chinnock and today I'm joined by Margaret Renshaw. Margaret is a senior HR consultant at Mate UK and I'm sure you all know that Mate UK champions engineering and manufacturing in the UK, supporting businesses around the country. Uh, so welcome, Margaret. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Kirsty. Good morning. Good morning. It's a, a cold and grey and miserable Monday morning in January when we're recording this. Um, we had a storm last night and I hope uh, all your fences are where you left them this morning. All the fences are there, yeah, but we had an absolute hoonie as if we were on board ship last night. We were right up in the Peak District. Well, we're a bit further down from you um, and um, had um, a, a panel from under the eaves appear in the garden last oh, night. So oh, wow. I need to find somebody with some scaffolding to put that back up. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> so, no, no. Uh, my husband was out there in the rain with the torch and I, I just watched out the windows, you know, playing good to place. our strengths. <laughs> yeah, good place to be. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I was supervising with a glass of wine, you know. Mm. I didn't realise that Mate UK, the HR department, was so big. You've got over 60 members of the team. And I was doing a bit of sort of research. And you've got some graphics um, on Mate UK and your LinkedIn profile stating that each year you answer over 10,000 HR and employment law questions and you've provided over 9,000 training days. Those are some big numbers. They are They are some big numbers. You know, they're big numbers that we're really proud of, absolutely. And, you know, those questions and queries are fielded by our um, advice line and our advice line and our dedicated um, advisors to members as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so it is a big number. <laughs> If you look at the makeup of um, companies in the UK, um, you know, there are so many SMEs that are the lifeblood, uh, particularly in engineering and manufacturing sectors. Yeah. And most SMEs don't have dedicated HR departments. It tends to be a senior manager or the MD, and it's just another hat yeah. you wear. So how important is it um, for you and your team to be able to provide this information, particularly to SMEs? I think it's vital in certain situations. You know, we, we, we try to be there. We work in partnership with a lot of our um, clients, we call them, you know, members, if you like. Um, and I work on the commercial team. So my colleagues are there at the desk doing tribunals, talking them through situations. But sometimes it involves us, or a lot of times it involves myself as one of the commercial team, going out there and actually helping them. So picking up a project like a, an organisational change or a redundancy or the other side of it, you know, things like employee engagement. You know, what do we do with the survey results we've got, you know, and, and how do we make sure that we're lean enough, that we've got the skills that we require in order to actually compete in that market place as well and these are the, the skills and resource that are not always freely available as you say because other people take on the mantle of HR itself. I think one of the things that's obvious from what I've seen on your LinkedIn post and from my own experience over the last 30 odd years is how 
things have changed from when I started in the 80s and, you know, it was like, do this, just do what I say, yeah. Um, yeah. to now collaboration, engagement. You just mentioned engagement there um, is a lot more important. What are the changes you've seen? I would totally agree with you, with you, Kirsty. I think the thing is it's not top down as much. Um, it's more coaching, you know, we're seeing more co coaching culture come in there. The collaboration is, you know, recognising you've got people with the skills, sort of reaching out and making sure that your managers are actually included in some of these, you know, the detailed discussions around projects. It The collaboration as well is really between individuals, you know, team members who can actually, you know, support each other as well support each other with things that are new and different in an organisation and also support them from a, a personal point of view as well. I think that's one of the things that's always made um, SMEs, um, a, a lot of people use the words family businesses. I personally, that's yeah. not a phrase um, I bat about. But, you know, you work with people, I mean, 10 hours a day, five yeah. days a week, sometimes six or seven, mm. um, for decades. I mean, we've got so many anniversaries this year. We've mm -hmm. got several 10 years, of 40 years, of 30 years, yeah. um, you know, not including those who've been in 19, 18, 17. No, no. Um, and it's, it's a big part, and it's about having a personal relationship with those individuals and I think recognising that if you've got a fancier title, it doesn't make you more important. It just means you've got a different role. Are you seeing more of that coming through from the, the leaders in with your client base? I think the thing is, you're right now, I would agree with what you say about family members, you know, family businesses. Uh, some of these people have grown with an organisation, grown with a company, and, and it is much more important because they've they've had the confidence to stick with the individual you know the company um titles people are still you know quite anxious about title changes and i think it's the perception you know there's a lot more flat structures these days than, than literally you know pyramids um and i think you know it there are more specialists sometimes and sometimes managers don't they have a responsibility for a technical aspect of the job, but they're not always people and man managers. So I think that's a, that's a difference there. Yeah, but people do. People are recognised by their titles, and I think it's a very emotive situation for people when you when you talk about people's titles and and you know sometimes it's there's no change in the responsibility, but you know bring the title up to you know present day it's very different you know the production managers used to be the production manager but now you know you've got technical leads and and some of the people on the similar and same level in the hierarchy so i hope that answers your question it does i, th I think it's it's when you've sort of been doing it a long time it's interesting to see how things evolve mm. um how do you see the future of the workplace um, and particularly with workplace engagement changing in the future? Have you got any tips so we can be ahead of the game? 
I'd love to tell you yes, but it's people, you know, that, <laughs> that's, a be- that's a beauty of this job, you know, you're engaging with people on all different levels, you know, from training, um, you know, to discussion that, with uh, strategic discussions at, at uh, board ops level. I think, to be fair, I think it's that allowing people, giving people the opportunity to feel comfortable, bring their whole self to work. You know, when you think of the um, equality, diversity, inclusion sphere we've got out there, you know, have making people feel comfortable that it, it's okay to, you know, to have a different representation of self, to be a carer, be, you know, be uh, a parent, you know, in any shape, guardian. And that's okay. It's about what you what you do, what your contribution is, you know, and, and just allowing people to feel comfortable enough to say, look, I need a day, kind of have some carer's leave. I think the other thing is, you know, aligning people to what they bring to the table and empowering them to have voice. For me, engagement is about taking the people with you. You know, we talk about the human resource, but I think it really is when you dig into the human element of it, it's your people. Because, you know, the business is only as good as the people, it, you know, the people that it employs or is partnership, working in partnership with, because the business is not the building. I think for me, that's one of the most notable changes over my sort of 35 years Mm -hmm. um, is that people are valued a lot more now than they were back in the Mm -hmm. 80s, um, both Mm -hmm. for what they contribute and and how they do it, um, but also for themselves as individuals. I would agree because, again, if you think of the traditional top-down management, you know, this is an instruction command and control. When you had a choice, didn't you? If you didn't like it, you know, one of those phrases was get on your bike and do something else, wasn't it, without getting into a, a political quote there. But it was true where now I think we've got more, understanding of what it really means you know to be successful what does that success look like yeah um yeah and it looks different for every individual doesn't it it does it does and i think that's another thing you know it's aligning your policies and procedures not for every individual and, and unfortunately you know that just doesn't work it can't work but understanding where people you know can recognize something for them you know it's blended and i think again that's another thing it's we have blended communities and we have blended um teams you know and recognizing the value of what they bring feeling valued is such a it's such an important aspect of going to work and that simple thank you it is i agree with that yeah definitely um and it's amazing how it's changed from you only ever got told when you were doing something wrong and nobody ever told you you were doing something right or said thank you for it yeah yeah on your um linkedin profile because um 
one of the things I do ahead of this podcast is stalk everybody a little bit online. <laughs> um, you posted a Simon mm. Sinek image demonstrating the circle of safety, the why, how and what. How do you demonstrate this to your clients to um, either implement or improve organisational trust and collaboration? Um, and how important is it for them to understand this circle of safety? I think if I come from it from the point of view, I think it's really important. I think people will do anything as long as they understand. I think it's sharing. It's not treating people like objects. So the circle of safety for me is actually engaging with people. You know, why do we need to do it? asking them getting feedback again that collaboration piece and encouraging um companies to do that for me i think coming on the same or similar topic a few years ago i did a piece of work with a company who were um niche sector and from an engagement survey we i actually worked with the management team the director the md and the hrd um and worked together and what we did was we worked and got focus groups got real feedback and the result was that they changed their terms and conditions that you know that there was more sick pay there was a blended way of working the fact that you know there could be their core hours but they had let's say they had 40 hour working week but it wasn't they didn't get the most out of it so they reduced the working week gave the employees some flexibility um it worked and that was the why are we doing it you know understanding the why understanding what for but again for me it it was that safety the circle of security if you like there they felt able to express really what was happening you know, certain processes weren't working and it, it wasn't helping them. Um, and the result of that was, as I say, that they, they made the change. Um, we resurveyed about 18 months, year, 18 months afterwards. But the key for them was it improved their productivity and performance. And they actually smashed a couple of targets and got recognition from, from the uh, parent company. So it works, and I think for me, it's working with with individual understanding what you're doing and trying to give something back. And for me, that circle of security is client-wise. Make sure they understand that you're there as a safety net. You're not going to knowingly let them fall. Test some things out, you know. But you know, let's have a plan B and and have a safety net in place. I think it, it, that's going back to the engagement, the collaboration, um, and you use the word blended quite a lot. Mm. I think one of the best part about working in a, is an SME with an engaged team is that they want exactly what you want. They want to hit yes. their targets. They want to increase productivity. Mm -hmm. um, they want to improve quality. They want to reduce downtime they want to get rid of those niggles that makes it yeah. more difficult for them to do their job and if mm -hmm. everybody does that and all works together you end up with 
a better product produced quicker and more efficiently yeah, and hopefully great. at less cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're keeping the clients happy, mm-hmm. um, the MDs happy and the team are happy. Uh, but it's when you don't ask their opinion yes. and don't get their input that any kind of change management just is doomed to fail. It is. I agree. Again, it comes back to that command and control. People are living in fear. It's their perception, not necessarily the reality, but they pick up on things that seem as though they're going to impact on them, make them uncomfortable, take them out of their comfort zone, uh, spin some negative vibe in there. And yes, I agree. Even the smallest change, you know, take your people along with you, you know, from even, look, we are contemplating this. What are your views? And it can be on, you know, getting your tech, your technical people, your operators, who who are the people who actually implement some of those changes, some of those changes that can make such an impact and a difference. So, yes, it's about shared responsibility as well, I think, and, and giving them that opportunity to understand that. And when you're implementing things, we, we always need to understand that people learn differently so if they're um going to run a new program or um practical aspects of the role are changing for improvements how do hr professionals such as yourself and your team how can you help the management team to make sure that they're teaching the individuals in a way that is going to bring that change or improvement um, to a successful mm-hmm. conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think, again, it's about, first of all, the communication. Then it's understanding what it is. Is it technical training? Is it the fact that it's organisational change? So a little bit about culture change, about behaviours, about, you know, explaining to people that you you get to a stage where you've got unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you're doing and you don't know what to do. Then it becomes a conscious understanding and then you can put it into conscious competence. So what you know what you're doing but you still have to think about it. And that's change itself. Then when you're there, when, when let's say when you have implemented the change, it's still a work in progress, but people do things. It, it, it becomes second nature again. I'm back in my comfort zone. It might be different, but I've had the tools. I have the understanding of the why, very much about expressing the vision how people will be impacted, what people were likely to to need. And then looking at what's the training, what's the re-education piece and allowing people to do that in many different ways. Some people come into a training session, a classroom base, if you like, and freak out. They remember school. It's not their preferred learning style. But it can be blended. It can be coaching. You know, you can do things like self-learning, some of the videos we use. We put videos now, little five-minute slots and things, you know, into training. I think it's also recognising how people learn. Some people are not visual. Some people are very theoretical. But equally, some people find it easier to understand with the visuals. 
And a couple of things that we do in our leadership is, you know, um, understanding your leadership style. So it can be a self-assessment questionnaire. What do I know about myself? What does this say about me? To give them a, a starting point, you know, and then, and then building with the information exchange. And, and again, very much about recognising that everybody's got, we've all got experience. You know, and I think as a trainer, it's it's a respect and recognising. You might be delivering a subject matter, but allow the people, empower the people in the training session to share. They've got lots of knowledge and experience. And some people are open enough to say, hey, look, we did that a couple of years ago, but didn't quite work out how we wanted it to but we've moved on or I've done that before and you know as a young manager or a, 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 someone in my early stages of my career I tried that and I probably wouldn't do that again so again it's a bit like reflection in a way reflecting on what we knew in order to build that knowledge base something we can tap into uh, you mentioned reflection I think reflection has a lot of benefits to individuals and organizations mm. um, to improve not only their performance but also um, their mental health mm. um, if you mm. can look back and reflect on something rather than obsess over something yes something mm. you did wrong a mistake that was made mm. and go mm. okay why did it not work what was the core reason for that? Can I change that in the future? Have I learned from it? Then reflection can be um, a really powerful tool. Uh, yeah. Reflection is not the same as lying there at two o'clock in the morning, going over every conversation you had when you were 24 or something and going, oh, my no. God. No. <laughs> no. Um, beating that's not reflection. That. Yes, no. Uh, and yeah. you, you focus on the negative, don't you? And you beat yourself up, and you do the comparatives of between yourself and being another person. So, yeah, I would agree. Mm -hmm. I think reflection is. And, is some... Sorry, go. No, carry on, please. <laughs> I think the thing with reflection is something that we are hopefully building in more and more i think as professionals as managers i think we need to reflect because it's also the reflection of impact and if you put it into an organizational perspective as you've just done performance productivity and outputs i think that is a lot easier for people and another phrase that i find um and i have done recently with some management training is you talk about reflection but they talk about lessons learned project management aspects of it and you know <clears throat> risk logs but when you do the personal reflection i think that is a little bit more difficult to put in and i'm going to say put in the diary you know diarize the time even for yourself in your downtime to say hmm maybe i should have done maybe i would do that differently and i think again it comes back to as you've just said that it's cause and effect but if we don't reflect we can't, in a way, it makes it difficult for us to move on from some of these challenging and emotive conversations, which may be personal, which may be personal aspects of life that you've got to take into work. 
and you know ask for time off ask for some carers leave or you know can I do a little bit of a flex this week because you know my my kids are doing their GCSEs and their A levels and you know they need a bit more time so I think that for me we don't put enough emphasis I think on reflection I think if I'm honest and I don't mean it from a project base because if it's got a big t if it's a big ticket item I think we do and I think we're, we've focused on that project aspect but I think it's harder sometimes to find time to reflect because we're on to the next task project we run to the next meeting we're on a Skype or a Teams so yeah it, it's really important but I think we've got to diarise it in our for ourselves if that makes sense you know i put in my diary everything i need to do my responsibility for other people to maintain and make sure everybody has what they need but do i do it enough for myself i i think that's something that nobody does enough for themselves um you've got so many um responsibilities um whether it's family work colleagues um pets i know you've got two labradors um I do. They're, like my, and my, they're like my children <laughs> i have two labradors who are my, my daughters mine are oh, athena and nix um and particularly with the younger one she's a rescue um oh, and is scared of everything so yes. we have one incredibly laid back one and one who's just full of cortisol um <laughs> uh even after four years so yay um so how old are ghost and b b is three and ghost is three and a half but b is a, a new addition to the oh. family she's only been with us a couple of months um we lost our yellow or the yellow lab because ghost's a yellow lab uh we lost her um probably about four months ago unfortunately she was 14 15 so she'd had a good life but uh we, we good, got age, good age very good age yeah. um but b's just in that terrible twos she's just learning she's just settling in the first month was oh can i do this and how far do i push the envelope um but she'd lived out in an outside kennel when we got her from from we got her from a reputable um breeder let's say but obviously kenneled outside i was living in the house you know they come upstairs and i'd always said they're not coming on the bed so what does she do do jump straight on the bed and obviously the thing my husband now says is i thought they weren't coming on the bed but she lays there she's comfortable uh but yeah she's a real scamp she's a she's a she's actually a um a springer she's not a labrador sorry we had two labs so as you you can imagine she's like a million miles an hour and i'm running around thinking where is she what you doing and getting her to stop jumping up at the door when you're trying to put food down there's like just a jack-in-a-box a hyperactive jack-in-a-box yeah nick's we think she's a mix between a springer spaniel and a labrador though she oh, looks well. like a brown lab yeah um, so so she's a spanner spanador yeah um, we think um and and this morning i was working out before i came to work um and they normally sleep on the sofa 
uh, in the room next to where my home gym is. Yeah. And I went out and Athena's standing there with her halo. And uh, Nix was in the sitting room tearing an oven glove to pieces. Oh, um, okay. That she can't reach. So Athena steals it off the counter, gives it Nix, and then gets her sister into trouble. So, oh, okay. Anyway, I could talk about dogs all day. Last <laughs> question, <as> well. Margaret. <laughs> Anna, <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, th- this for me is something that resonates every day. Um, if you can't give advice or you can't answer a question for a client, you haven't asked enough questions. It all comes back to understanding what you're being asked. So you can't give a response, whether it's direct advice or whether it's start, you know, starting a conversation, let's say, within a scoping planning meeting. If you don't understand it, you can't you can't give a true and honest answer. So if you can't if you can't give a, a oh, piece like of that. advice, you and haven't that applies to so much, questions. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, thank you so much, Margaret, for your time. It's been great to have you on. Um, and good luck with the terrible twos. 